Welcome. Good evening. Any question tonight? Yes. Uh, we note in the writings of Shudabhakti Vinodakor what appears to be discrepancies from the prior acharyas. And we also note that there seems to be some concept that, well, Bhakti Vinod's writings would supersede those of the prior acharyas because he's the seventh Goswami. It seems to be a problem within the contemporary Vaishnava community that some devotees feel this way and don't see that his modernized writings need to be harmonized with the Sampradaya Acharyas, Goswamis. Let me to comment on that. Well, I'll try to be brief, but um, I think that um, that there, uh, uh, first of all, there is a um, reasonable justification for um, kind of crowning Bhaktivinoda as a seventh Goswami. That said, it was uh, done by a famous uh, journalist who was also obviously a religious man and a devotee in his own right, but I don't know that he was uh, an orthodox Gaudiya Vaishnava, but nonetheless, um, the name stuck, and the term, the the, the the crowning title, if you will, and I, th- I think there was good reason. There's a, there's a lot of a number of parallels between his work and the work of the six Goswamis, and of course, it's not necessarily by any means a um, The fact that he was crowned so, by rather than by a, let's say a senior Vaishnav, but by a more a, a person more uh, involved in the world is not necessarily a um, uh, a fault or a defect. Um, he was trying to um, speak about write about Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And in, 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 in by in the context of interfacing with the modern world, so to get credibility in the modern liter- literary educated world, even if it was Bengal in this case, uh, Bengali um, educated English speaking and so forth, um, is quite a, quite an accomplishment. Uh, if you know, they would ask one of us to comment on CNN or something like that about some world event, you'd think that Gaudi Vaishnavism was getting some recognition in the world, and that's a desirable um, result. Um, <clears throat> and it's not at the same time that Bhaktivinoda Thakur was not honored by, by senior Vaishnavas. In fact, there was a whole group in West Bengal of senior Vaishnavas who wrote, or a paper was written, they all signed it, giving some other title, I think, to Bhakti, maybe the title Bhakti Vinod, even to him. Hmm? Um, and so his, his his accomplishments were also acknowledged by, by many senior Vaishnavas. His crowning, well, one of the crowning accomplishments of his was the uh, 
uncovering of the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that was controversial but validated nonetheless by perhaps the senior most Gaudiya Vaishnava in the community at the time, Sri Jagannathas Babaji Maharaj. That's a pretty good endorsement for his really vision. It was a, something that Bhaktivinoda Thakur worked on on two levels. From an um, objective and academic point of view, he sought to establish, to to give support to his subjective and mystical vision of the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's birth that he witnessed from his own uh, kutir in Godrum, on the other side of the Jalangi, branch of the Saraswati, he saw two nights in a row this uh, kind of effulgence emanating from this uh, area, uh, Mayapur, that was inhabited by, by a Muslim uh, community at, at the time. And um, this in the context of how he had been looking for and researching ancient maps and so on and so forth. And so he went to that place as you know the story, and he talked to the local people, and they had referred to it um, by a term that was kind of a modernized, or how would you say it? Um, anyway, that it corresponded with the term Mayapur, Maya something, and um, and so on and so forth. And he asked the local there. I mean, this is you have to understand. This is this is this is Bengali. Um, the tiger land, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Famous Bengali tigers. I mean, it was a jungle, mm-hmm. practically speaking. Um, so, uh, anyway, the local people in the vicinity had a lore about the place, and it seemed to correspond with his vision. And then his maps, the old maps that he got and whatnot, and this kind of academic work that he did, ended up coming together with his vision. And uh, again, it was celebrated by acknowledged by um, Jagannathas Babaji. So, um, so anyway, there are a number of parallels to his contribution and that of the Goswamis, like uncovering the places of Krishna's pastimes, which the Goswamis were commissioned to do by Mahabharu and Vrindavan. And as we're saying, he did this in Nabdweep. There's no one in the Gaudiya Sampradaya that has brought more attention to Nabdweep. Hmm? Uh, than than Bhaktivinoda Thakur. So um, he penned his Nabhavipdam Mahatmya, which is like a a, a transcendental tour of Nabhadweep and uh, really excavating all the places of pilgrimage there and so forth. Uh, um, So he did that and um, he wrote Vaishnava philosophy, um, as we know, which the Goswamis were all commissioned, also commissioned to establish the worship of Gorgadhar, Gor Vishnu Priya also, and, and wrote about the, the, the differences and so forth. Uh, so um, voluminous was he was he with his writing as well, uh, uh, quite a, many many books and poems and songs and so on and so forth. And as the Goswamis in their own time, the founding acharyas of the Sampradaya, were interacting with the monarchies uh, of the time who were patronizing Vrindavan, and if Rupa Goswami said this pastime happened there, they would want to build a monument there hmm? and have a temple there and so on and so forth. So they were throwing money after the vision of the Goswamis. 
Hmm? Uh, so they were interacting with the uh, uh, kind of, I want to say secular, it was religious, but but a but a broader circle of uh, persons and uh, in, in the world in general and uh, bringing uh, recognition, deity, uh, uh, excuse me, interest in, uh, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism uh, to the world. So uh, many, there are many parallels. Um, uh, and um, so I believe it's a fitting title. Now, so seventh Goswami. And, but all the six Goswamis, they were pretty much in agreement on. <laughs> and, uh, and there are some differences in their writings also, some differences about rather writing about the Aprakat Leela. And, uh, but the differences um, are, um, I would say, minor. Overall, it would appear, and there's evidence to support the idea that their writings were not Rupa wrote this over here, Sanatana wrote this over here, and, but they were interacting with one another. I mean, Jiva Goswami wrote commentaries on Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu of, his, of Rupa Goswami, on um, Ujbal Nilmani of Rupa Goswami, and uh, he was a disciple of Rupa Goswami, and Artatvacharya. So, uh, and uh, he wrote he, he wrote a Bhagavatam commentary following the commentary of Sanatana Goswami. So the point being that they were working conjointly hmm, in their writings. So and it shows up. There's a consistent theme, and um, 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 ground of tattva that they um, build the um, um, or let's say design as architects. The uh, the Gaudiya uh, Sampradaya. Hmm? They had they couldn't be at odds with one of the over substantial points of tattva, hmm? and without having a, you know a, a stone in the foundation missing or cracked or something like that. Hmm? So point being that there is even amongst them there is room for some nuance of difference, hmm? but not in terms of foundational. Uh, principles, hmm? and for that matter, there's very little difference at all. Period, and so they are like a, a group that is the founding acharyas, plural. That's one entity, so to speak. They're all involved in the same same thing, establishing the Gaudiya Sampradaya. So. Um, here comes Bhakti Vinod 500 years, some you know, 400 years later, and the uh, in the society of Gaudiya Vaishnava says at this time does not have that kind of recognition from the uh, educated and pious sectors of Hinduism in Bengal, would speak of uh, the interest of the of the ruling class, the British. It's kind of receded into obscurity, a thing that. Krishna speaks about in the Bhagavad Gita when he says, Evam parampara paptam imam sakalena mahata Sometimes these teachings, they get obscured, covered, and I then um, reinvest within them to bring them to light. The implication being that he empowers uh, 
a uh, devotee to speak about them in contemporary terms and uh, without uh, um, sacrificing the depth of the uh, of the tradition of the ph- and the philosophy and, and so forth. <clears throat> and uh, obviously, Bhaktivinoda very much fits this um, description. <clears throat> so, extraordinary uh, work in his own times. And again, some uh, number of parallels between him and the Goswamis. So, that said, he is at the same time doing what they're doing in a different time, and a very different time. In the time of the Goswamis, for example, um, Europe was just turning on its head from a geocentric to a heliocentric perspective of the heavens and uh, and what makes the world go round, uh, so to speak. Hmm? And the Goswamis were, I would say, too absorbed in what they were doing to deal with that, comment on that. Neither were those ideas perhaps that well established. I'd have to look at my dates, but um, in in Europe or in the minds of... uh, or Or that much communicated as far across as to... India. However, there is some evidence that some traditionalists, if you will, traditional Hindus, um, who embrace the traditional Puranic kind of historical, mytho-historical perspective um, and descriptions of cosmography, uh, its cosmology, and so on and so forth, who did, at the time of the Goswamis, try to interface with the European uh, heliocentric uh, uh, move um, and really kind of the early birth of the modern scientific revolution. Um, but the Goswamis didn't. Hmm? Now, whether they were aware of it, we can't say. Whether they had time to deal with it, they had a lot on their hands. Just to deal with it, just with, within the traditionalists of the time, some of them being traditions that had been around for thousands of years, like Ramanuja, hmm? Madhva, Vaishnav Sampradaya is, of course, the Shankar Sampradaya. And you can see in their writings that they're dealing with these. They're also dealing with the the currents of philosophical thought of the time in India, the Sankhya philosophy, the uh, Karma Mimamsa. The, uh, they in, invoke uh, even some of the logic of the Nyaya tradition. And they, they, they incorporate some of the Sankhya perspective, and, so, and then some of it they don't, and so on. So they were well acquainted with the um, currents of thought at the time in India. Jiva Goswami was was uh, uh, schooled at the behest of Nityanandapuru in Bengal on such topics before going to Vrindavan and then being further schooled in Bhakti from Rup and Sanatan. Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur's couple what of, uh, in the 18th century and ended this late 1600s, early 1700s, when he wrote his commentary on the qualifications of the guru, Tasmad Guru from Bhagavatam, Tasmad Guru Prapadyeta Jignasu Shayotam. Hmm. Uh, Shabde Parechanishnatam Ramani Upashamashraya. Right? Um, this is probably the most cited verse 
of the founding acharyas in terms of defining the characteristics of the guru, the characteristics of the disciple in an essential sense are also embedded in the verse. But with regard to the guru, shabde pare chanishnatam, shabde pare chanishnatam. They, uh, uh, Sri Guru, should be theologically, theistically, pare implies a theistic perspective hmm, on the uh, Shabda, on the transcendental sound, on the Eastern revelation, the sacred books of the Hindu, the Upanishads, the Puranas. Shabda pare. Uh, uh, so, obviously, there are, there are non theistic perspectives on them as well. I mean, all of these schools of thought, Sankhya, Karma, Mimamsa, Nyaya, they're all drawing on Upanishads and so forth to different extents and coming up with different uh, conclusions. Uh, so they had a holy, the Bhagavatam describes the Guru as wholly theistic in his or her perspective on the current of thought in Revelation, but shab, my point ultimately comes to Shabde Parecha Nishnatam. Nishnatam means they had a theistic perspective on the sacred text that was like inside out, upside down, uh, frontwards and backwards. They, not, to, give the, to cite the beautiful poem scribing the Goswamis of Srinivasacharya, Nana Shastra Vicharanaika Nipponosa Dharma Samstapako Lokanam. Their command of the sacred texts was extraordinary and it was um, harnessed by them out of hitakarano, out of compassion for the people in general. They were doing exactly what Nard told Vyas to do. Hmm? Go deeper and bring out the efficacy of bhakti in no uncertain terms. This gave rise to the Bhagavatam. They took the Bhagavatam, which was the heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and then did that to another degree, so to speak, and brought out, with supporting evidence from here and there and everywhere, their command was so extraordinary. Um, uh, so, Nishnatam, Krishna says in the Gita, the, the, at the end, those who study my teaching inside out, upside down, backwards and frontwards that I've given to Arjuna, they worship me with their intellect. So there's, there's, this isn't a place for not, not for thinking, it's a place for what thinking you have. Here's a place to uh, repose it, bring your intellect, and let it meet the challenge of the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam can arrest the intellect and capture it, entertain it in a way that it cannot find the end and then it has scope for for the, for the self to come out from underneath the limits of the intellect. Intellects generally the idea of the of the of intellect is to control the thing, right? To measure it, to capture it. Hmm? But the Bhagavatam actually makes a challenge: come, bring your intellect, hmm? Hmm? And, and 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 and. We'll take it on, so to speak, and so you can fully apply it and find that it, it doesn't have the capacity to measure the teaching of the Bhagavatam, to bring it under one's grip. You could say, well, there's scholars who know it really well. 
Hmm? Once I was sitting with Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj, and there was a famous Mayavadi in Vrindavan speaking. Hmm? He was famous for his learning. And these Mayavadi Advaitins, they would study different traditions. And so they would speak about, they could speak at any Sangha on the topic, uh, on the subject, on the theology or philosophy of that Sangha. Hmm? And of course, there are, there are ideas. Well, uh, all these Sanghas, all these different perspectives, all ultimately are different ways, culturally and um, emotionally, intellectually, uh, um, harnessing the, the meant to harness the harmon our humanness, so that we can merge into Brahman, where there's no now no differentiation. All the differentiation ends there. Hmm? This is a, a way in which they appear to be very all accommodating. We accept all the religions, except we disagree with all the religions' conclusions. <laughs> Very substantial difference that they have. <clears throat> so it really becomes quite an exclusive rather than an inclusive, or it's inclusive in a pejorative sense. We include you all within us, but we only from our perspective, not from yours. <clears throat> uh, so anyway, uh, he was speaking on the Bhagavad and Puri Goswami which apparently knew a little he chuckled, he said, he knows our philosophy better than we do. Hmm? Hmm? Um, but that means academically he knew. Hmm? I like to cite, for example, in this regard, the first chapter of the Gita. If you don't understand the first chapter of the Gita and you don't digest it and swallow it, hmm? However well you've learned the rest of the book, you don't understand it at all. Because in the very first chapter of the Gita, what the Gita is about, the challenge that the book presents to you, is is formidable. And if you understand it properly, you realize this book has an agenda, as I sometimes say, and I'm on it. Hmm? I can't make it part of my agenda to pull out when it's convenient socially and cite this and see I know this and I'll see I know that and and uh, uh, bolster my sense of uh, my false sense of self because the false sense of self is just uh, 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 under attack in, in the first chapter of the Gita to the point that it ends with what? The Maharati who could be a greater warrior than Arjun Dropping his bow. Oh my God, he dropped his bow. I mean, this, if you understand the significance of that. And when he asks Krishna, taxi, drive my... It's so, so beautiful because the, the end of the philosophy and the beginning of the philosophy is there in that one verse. Oh, you who are infallible, uh, come on over here. Hmm? Drive my chariot, taking orders, Parthasarathy. He's the chariot driver of Arjuna. Arjun's the warrior. He's the taxi driver. He's the rickshaw wall of the chariot driver. He's taking orders from Arjun. Hmm? Drive my chariot up and let me see who is assembled here, what I have to contend with. And Krishna just drives it up and parks it right in front of his biggest attachment, which he has good reason to be attached to. His gurus, in terms of the martial art, that is his, that is his Chatriya identity, his Varnashram identity, Drona, hmm? And Bhishma, who veritably uh, acted as his own father, hmm? 
another type of, of of guru, and he has to kill them with invocations. You have to kill the attachments to that which is most dear to you. If you don't get this is like where the book's at, and then enter into it with this spirit at least. This is what I'm going into this for. This is the purpose of what the book's about. And so it's a living kind of interactive multi whatever <laughs> media <laughs> you know it's an interactive uh, text right it's really calling on on a level of participation that far exceeds intellectual curiosity hmm? so you can hear the point go well that's interesting hmm? I should kill my ego what else does it say then you know you, you haven't really interacted with the book hmm? you haven't understood it um, so this is the this is the entry here. Enter with a certain spirit, and you know it goes on to further emphasize that point as the second chapter begins. And our and Krishna takes begins to speak and calls him a fool. You say you're a, you know you speak like a learned man, but you don't um, you're not you know you don't know anything. You're 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 what does he say? Um, Pandita. Some, uh, mm-hmm. Anyway. Anaryadushtam uh, Ashvargam. You're you're from uh, supposed to be an Aryan, but you're acting like a fool and uh, uh, you speak learned words, but you don't know that which is. Uh, the difference between living the dead or something like that. I forget. The, anyway, you, you know, you very you, you're familiar with the text, so he's very very powerful there and he's very very dismissal dismissive. He's very dismissive of Arjun's dharmic and other worldly perspectives that he voices in order to avoid uh, the task at hand. There's kind of an epiphany that he experiences being sat down, you know, halted, the chariot halting before his biggest attachments. He gets it, but he starts to argue and rationalize away his epiphany, hmm? but a Christian doesn't let him doesn't let him do that. Hmm? He comes, he try, he immediately takes it from karma and dharma to jnana, hmm? and then and and then he quickly goes back in, in in a couple of verses and dismisses his dharmic perspective as well. Then he gives his whole um, um, dissertation on the nature of the self, right? Hmm? And then as he ends that again, he dismisses the dharmic arguments for good reason. And then he begins, he kind of became a theoretical understanding of the self and then the yoga, how to achieve it, how to realize it, and so forth. So uh, so anyway, um, uh, yeah, these um, the, such texts have an agenda of their own. And if we read them properly, we realize they have an agenda and I'm on that agenda not that I can make them my agenda. Like we're accustomed to making, taking knowledge of this world and making it part of our agenda to bolster our own sense of self and esteem and uh, place in the world and so forth. They're meant to dis- dismantle that and take us to another world, right? Hmm? It's, a, it's, a, it's an enormous uh, task. It takes a great amount of um, courage. Uh, so how we got there from the Goswamis, I mean, you have to remind me, but... Um, but uh, there is a thread that connects it. Um, at any rate, um, 
Yeah, yeah, they were knowledgeable of the philosophies of the time and, and uh, the, the Goswamis in, in, in their writing. Hmm? Krishna says in the Gita, you know, study this with the inside out and backwards and you worship me with your intelligence. And it's a challenge for the intellect. It can consume, it can digest the intellect. And that's very beautiful to know the limits of the intellect is to really know. Hmm? You know the limits of reason, that it has limits, is the most reasonable position to arrive at. To think that reason doesn't have limits for knowing is, is to really be an ignorant person. Hmm? So we have a transrational method for knowing, right? To hear from revelation with some openness hmm? and um, from the proper sources and so forth. So the as so the Goswamis, they had a command. They, they did what the Christians said in the Gita. They studied it from every angle and the entirety of the sacred texts. Hmm? It's amazing what they where they draw from and so forth. Hmm? And um, this is the example that corresponds with the word in the Bhagavatam, Nishnatam, describing the Guru. He or she uh, is acquainted with the scriptural, uh, the Eastern revelation in a comprehensive way. Vishwana Chakrati Thakur, again, commenting on the word Nishnatam, says, and that means not only the the scriptures, hmm? but other books too. So that's what they were doing. And they they were, again, capable of taking the teaching and explaining it according to the currents of thought at the time. Hmm? Without doing that, its relevance, it, its, 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 its uh, light um, uh, will uh, not shine uh, as brightly, hmm? and it may be obscured by time and the currents of thought at the time. So, and the currents of thought at the time are constantly changing, and they're constantly in contradiction or in 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 opposition, I should say. The current of the world and the current of the mind, whatever you can come up with between your ears on your own or with the help of somebody else's gray matter, um, is 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 really going to be in in opposition. The mind informed by the senses, working with them, corrupting the intellect. Intellect is meant, everybody knows, to harness the senses. Everybody agrees with that. Hmm? But we, 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 we give in. We allow the intellect to be corrupted, at least to a certain point, however politically correct or polite we are or whatnot. Hmm? The intellect is, by and large, working in conjunction with the demands of the mind and the senses. It may... I mean, have you ever done something that you knew with your intelligence wasn't good for you? Do you remember not doing that? <laughs> so, to be... I mean, and, and, and So, that's the human condition, right? That's just the human condition. Hmm? human condition is one in which the, the potential for intellect, which is a tool hmm, that can help us when, when in touch with, with, with revelation, it can be spiritualized. Hmm? And then if, this, if the intellect is spiritualized, then it can be a discriminating 
faculty that um, enables us to uh, cleanse the chitta of samskars, material impressions, and and, and, and move in, in, in an entirely different uh, direction to go in a in a in a backwards way to go within rather than go without. Right, the whole world is going out, hmm? practically speaking. So the currents of the world are not going to flow along with the with the revelation of the sacred texts of the of the East. They're they're just not. Hmm? They are they are moving against the current of the world. And so they need to be amplified. Hmm? And that just doesn't mean to shout them, you know, from the from the rooftop, but to but to speak about them in as far as possible in contemporary terms. That's and that's what the Goswamis were doing. So that's what Bhaktivinoda was doing. But the times of the Goswamis and the way they did it, and the times of Bhaktivinoda were very different. Hmm? As I said, they the Goswamis weren't dealing with and really didn't have to at the time deal with the whole dawning of the scientific revolution, which is such a huge edifice now, you know, and uh, <laughs> the unhinging of philosophy from even the really the Western revelation of the of the uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, hmm? It was a, philosophy was unhinged from revelation, and then it just become just become. Think, think it out, and come, whatever you come up with could be interesting. Hmm? That just goes on forever until it really becomes bankrupt. Philosophy com- becomes bankrupt because it's no longer about being a more um, complete uh, and um, a human being. That's hmm? not, not long. It's no longer about necessarily being a kinder human being. Hmm? Um, or uh, um, um, there is an example I read about recently of um, Buddhist monks, young Buddhist monks in a monastery and they were being visited and and studied by an academic and so uh, he was watching them one morning and they were passing around a tray of apples for the boys to take, hmm? and um, without any kind of thinking about it, really, really at, at, at any great length, one of the boys took the biggest apple hmm? and started laughing, and everybody laughed. Hmm? He took the biggest apple, and everybody laughed. The idea was that they had, they they knew people think like that, but this has no place in our thinking. It has absolutely no place in our thinking that you would take the biggest apple. You, it just doesn't, it didn't, it doesn't register in their worldview, in their sense of what it means to be a human being. Hmm? That's a little different than the capitalist society, if you will, which is, which is driven by, by greed. Take all the apples and give the and give the cores, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just, so there was just a, just a foreign idea to them. Hmm? Um, so and so, what was their psychology? Hmm? And was their psychology, you know, be, this is kind of a yogic and a spiritual 
psychology that they had, did that make them a, a more desirable human being, a, a human being that was more different, or the demarcation between their humanity and animality, was it greater or less? This is then, we could say, would be the determining factor whether we're advancing as a human um, society. And everybody believes this, even, but the extent to which they're willing to apply themselves or think it's even possible is another thing. But that's what sadhana is about, spiritual practice is about. It's about taking that principle to the full, fullest uh, implications and ramifications of it and becoming a sadhu. If you want to become a gopi, you have to become a sadhu, right? That's what Mahaprabhu taught. Hmm? If you want to step into the shoes of Radha, he had to go without shoes. Hmm? He had to go barefoot. Hmm? <laughs> what is that idea hmm? of Leela? Hmm? We should understand. You have to be a sadhu to enter there. It's the sadhuness of them, sadhuness of their love that Krishna was um, touched by. <clears throat> so, um, so spiritual life. It's it's a great. Uh, Great challenge, a great, the greatest uh, ad- adventure, and so forth. So to have good guidance in that, important. That guidance has to be well grounded in the in the scriptural argument and understand the, um, uh, the various sounds of the scripture and in context and so on and so forth. So the Goswamis did this, Bhakti Vinod is doing this in his time. But the times are very different, so the current of thought is different, and. Um, so, yes, Bhakti Vinod Thakur did emphasize in some ways uh, differently and even said some things that could be construed to be at odds uh, with core philosophical, theological tenets of the Goswamis. But those are very, very few. Hmm? Um there are some ways in which he spoke innovatively. Uh, his idea of Shraddhanamabhas, for example. Um, but he, 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 there's, there's, as opposed to the Namabhas as is described in the Bhagavatam, which is not something that occurs in the context of, of Shraddha and Sadhana, hmm? but, um, but understood properly, it's, uh, it's, it's a way of Bhavabhas, Bhaktiabhas, Namabhas in the context of practice. Um, we'll talk about that at another date. But um, that's so. So there's a there's a way. I want to say first, there's a way of looking literally at the Goswami's teachings and kind of freezing them there. Also, without the ability oneself to interact with modern thought um, and 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 stay within the parameters of the philosophy and bring it out, or you could re- rep- re- repeat exactly what they said, and so forth, and that's a service. Hmm? But Bhaktivinoda was doing something else, and so the results were were, 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 were extraordinary. Hmm? He really is, is, well, you know, anybody that's involved in this in the international community is owes a debt to Bhaktivinoda Thakur, right? So you kind of have to look at, at the... Uh, ability of him 
to be in, in, somewhat innovative and creative in speaking about the philosophy and the fact that everything that's said by the Goswamis literally doesn't have to be said exactly that way. There, there are ways to theologize about things that have been said that could be um, broadening the scope of, of, of what's been said there and so without going against any core principles. But just saying it different, hmm? uh, someone could say, well, well, the Goswamis didn't say that. Therefore, we disregard. Without the ability to understand the theologizing that, that constitutes kind of a, a open, opening further, like with the influence of sun, of the lotus, of the texts, hmm? and to see further what's in there. So I can say things like, you know, someone said, well, prophets this, and I said, well, it doesn't matter. We say this. Hmm? And, you know, if you know me, you know, I, I'm speaking essentially about what prophet's teaching, what he means, and so on and so forth. But you say it different, and it's like, oh, it must be wrong, right? So that can be done by someone who's pretty well schooled, even in the Goswami's uh, teachings, and but not that well schooled in or realized and lacking in the ability to really interface with modern thought um, and so forth today in the way that Bhaktivinoda Thakur was in his time. And we say that uh, authoritatively uh, with conviction and support that he was qualified because we look at the result. So if you're going to make some... um, if you're going to be able to do that, and you're going to be able to take liberty, then even in in, a, in another instance where you're actually dealing with a core philosophical principle, so there's a couple of those that Bhaktivinoda kind of tweaked. Now these aren't just details that could be elaborated upon, expanded upon, theologized upon, and stay within the parameters, but actually take a core principle. Let's say, for example, bhakti inherent in the in the, in, the, in the jiva. Hmm. which kind of corresponds with fall from Goloka idea. If you talk about the fall from Goloka long enough, you'll start talking about is bhakti inherent in the jiva or vice versa. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Hmm. So uh, in, in my study of bhakti Minota, it basically comes down to this one issue as far as a core philosophical issue. Maybe, 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 um, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, again, we have to look at the result that he had also. Mm-hmm. And, and and then 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 there may be some room for doing that, for, let's say, as I often say, hatching a preaching strategy for time and circumstance in terms of looking at the audience. Uh, for example, theodicy is the question, how... If God is all good, why is there evil in the world? Hmm? Basically, right? So every every tradition has to answer this. Now, the the Hindus in the sacred text they don't really they don't really answer it. It's not really a question that comes up in Hinduism because the teaching is so different. It's like there is no. Uh, God is the world. It's a it, God. Is, God is the world, and God is different from the world at the same time. It's not like in Christianity, classical, classical theism, as it's called, where the, God is holy and the world is profane, and never the two shall meet. Hmm? 
the only meaning is the humans using the profane world for God's purpose hmm, and their own in that context, living well, uh, something like that. Um, and then on you know, the other end of the spectrum, we've got the pantheism, which some Indian traditions embrace, where God is the world, and then the personality of God dis- disappears. In Christianity, the, 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 oh, the wholeness of the package you know, you've got this separate thing from God. You've got a devil. There's a separate force in the world. You don't have it in Hindu. Maya is there, but it has no influence on Bhagwan. He's not competing with Maya. Maya is serving him with some embarrassment at a distance. Hmm? And Maya is his own Shakti. The Jivas are his own Shakti. Hmm? How could God make a world in which there's evil if he's all good? Well, he didn't make it. How's that? It's always been there. There's no beginning to it. It's an Adi. It has no beginning. The world cycles come and go, come and go, with like the breathing of Vishnu, which has no beginning and has no end. So how can you blame him for creating something he didn't create? <laughs> it's like a non, you know, kind of a kind of a question, hmm? um, in 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 many ways, which even today does not compute very well with Christian theologians. They just go, well, you're not answering the question. You're just, you're just not dealing with it. Uh, and they're, you know, on this linear time. Time begin here, it's going to end here. There's going to be the apocalypse and people are going to rise from their graves or, or, or whatever it is, you know. Hmm? Second coming. But it's, and that's the end of time, right? Hmm? The end of times. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> It happens at 6.66, uh, or, or six minutes after seven. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but in Hinduism, you know, time is, 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 is cyclical. Hmm? And, uh, and uh, it's, not a straight, it's not a straight line. Hmm? Um, so it's a whole different uh, perspective. But now you're going to deal with British Christian Orientalists, they were called, coming into India and convert to converting the pagans and so forth. And uh, Bhakti Vinod was in the milieu of that and looking at Christianity. And he, I call him the, the first Western convert hmm? because he was actually raised and schooled by the British and was embracing Western philosophy. He had a dislike for the Bhagavad, which he hadn't even read, but it had ill repute, was it was uh, was not well regarded by the Orientalists because of the um, the the Playboy Krishna. Hmm? I mean, you know, God's cavorting with other people's wives, and this is what they're worshiping. You know, this is, was their idea. So to be able to penetrate that text and understand it was uh, it was a challenge, right? Um, so he was, he said himself, he was brought up with a kind of a bias against the Bhagavad, but he was converted by coming in touch with Chaitanya Charitamrita hmm? and understanding the Bhagavad in that light. Hmm? So he's the first Western convert, really. Hmm? And um, and uh, so uh, he had to deal with something that Goswamis didn't have to deal with. Hmm? And he hatched a particular strategy, I would say, 
with regard to this this topic where he says uh, he puts the strong strong emphasis for example on the evil of the world on the free will of the jiva where he says the jiva exists in the tatasta region it has some knowledge of the lo- lower world some knowledge of the higher world it makes a choice some go up some go down and so what he's doing there is he's emphasizing it's the free will of the jiva which is the emphasis in christianity hmm? that the reason for the evil in the world is 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 the is the is the uh, choices of the uh, uh, you know hum- human choices of course overall hmm, to be frank with you uh, the idea that if God is all good and if God is all powerful hmm, then there should be no evil in the world don't really hold up because the idea being if God is all good and all powerful how could he being all good being all powerful how could he allow evil to remain hmm? that whole idea is based on an assumption, like so many things <laughs> that people think, based on assumptions, which may be false, right? Assumption of what is good. So like, if God is all good and all powerful, how could he allow a tsunami to wipe out a whole island of humans hmm, and make them food for the sharks? You get it? What's good? What's the good? <laughs> is it just a human idea of good that that we we have to talk about? It was pretty good for the sharks. <laughs> so so we can't posit our own sense of good on the absolute uh, necessarily. So at, at any rate, Bhaktivinoda was you know trying to deal with these kind of arguments, and he made a soft kind of bridge, so to speak, between the Hindu perspective in general and the Western thinking and um, also dealing with his own tradition where there were sadhus who were saying, if you want Krishna, you have to come to our sampradaya, then I will give you your swarup, your bhakti swarup, and it will, you, you will do good. I am in the lineage coming from Birchandra, hmm, son of Nityananda Prabhu. Nityananda Prabhu's spiritual current runs in the in my veins. If you drink my urine, it will be good for you. Hmm? <laughs> hey, uh, get Diksha. I'm, I'm making it very crude, but this kind of thing was the state that. The Bach that that Gaudi Vaishnavism in many respects had um, deteriorated too, hmm? uh, giving initiation without someone without any real someone again. That's why Bhaktivinoda emphasizes Siksha because he's seen in the time there's all these people getting initiated, but the gurus many of them are not giving any someone again, and it's not people aren't getting anywhere with it. Hmm? That was his emphasis on Siksha. It wasn't something like Siksha is better than Diksha. Throw out the Diksha, but they were giving a kind of a facsimile of Diksha or Fox Diksha hmm, and Enno Siksha on top of it. Hmm. Anyway, so, um, you know, this is what he was, was 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 dealing with. And 
And that, so now, you know, we live in different times. And they're radically different in the time of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. I mean, if you look, if you look back and you look at how the Hindus began to deal with uh, evolutionary theory, Darwinian theory of evolution in the middle of the 1800s, which was a huge like shock to the Christian heart in the West, educated Christian people. It was, it was like a heart attack. And uh, some of the uh, uh, Buddhists and Hindus came to kind of like massage the hearts of the Christians with a theology that they said was not um, threatened by evolution. For example, Vivekananda, who came in the middle of the 18th, 1800s, 19th, middle of the 19th century, the famous World Congress of Religion in Chicago. Hmm? And, um, and uh, he said Hindus have been evolutionists since time immemorial. Hmm? Right? And then he gave his idea of evolution uh, and at his time, it was very like, "Woo, wow, that's cool!" And uh, some bunch of old ladies got behind him, you know, <laughs> with money. And the Vedanta uh, Society was was formed, hmm? uh, um, and so forth. So um, uh, all well and good, and there are others too. But if you look now at their arguments at that time, which were like cutting edge, they look ridiculous because of what is known about, for example, evolution now compared to what was known about about it then. There was little, very little known about it. Hmm? It was a powerful hypothesis. Now it's become a theory. There's a difference between a hypothesis and a theory. A theory becomes is when a hypothesis becomes something that, that works. You can work with it interdisciplinary with different sciences and different um, whatever. Um, of course, it's way overblown, uh, as if it's you know the, the missing link to understanding everything. It's abs- it's absurd to think it li- think of it like that. But um, and of course, just as, as a moment, it, it, it's it's really like falls apart if if not within itself at the two ends, where that people try to extend it as if that's already been proven. The two ends being where chemicals turn into biology. That's called a biogenesis or chemical evolution. It was thought that we were on the verge of demonstrating this is how chemicals turn into biology. Hmm? But the research and the effort to demonstrate that uh, it, 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 it was such... That in time it just got put on the shelf. Hmm? Well, let's not let's not talk about that. That that's, I mean, go ahead and look out there and see, in the name of evolution, how many people are talking about chemical evolution? Practically nobody. Hmm? There was a point where it was thought this guy had figured it out, and then he turned out to be a um, turned out to be a fraud. Hmm? How? The, I mean, there's the, there are then the here just, there are hypotheses of a biogenesis, but they have it has never evolved into a theory, hmm? even. Hmm? And then that's on one end of the spectrum, right? Chemicals turning into life to make a, an entire 
to fill all the gaps of materialism, right? It's not that because one species evolves um, to correspond with uh, challenging environmental circumstances that you've demonstrated that every that, that materialism as a philosophy is is um, conclusively <coughs> demonstrated. I mean, you know, we ourselves evolve. We know that we've experienced it according to environmental circumstances. We left ISKCON. We evolved, you know, <laughs> for example, just, you know, we evolved. <laughs> we had to <laughs> for our survival. <laughs> uh, so, so we know about that. Uh, you know, then there's the, there's the macroevolution that one species evolves into another, which is you know, okay, that's a bigger stretch, but um, common ancestry seems to be pretty well supported. You look at the um, what do they call it? The hmm? no, the record of the rocks. You know the The geological record. There's another name for it, but fossil oh. record. Then you, you know it's such that you can look at it and be convinced that this is crazy, or this makes a lot of sense either way. But anyway, I don't know enough about it to. If I was asked to say, well, you know, I don't know enough about it, but I know some things. There's no, there's no theory even that supports the chemicals turn into life. That's one end, right? One gap. Hmm. And then the other gap is at the other end, where biology turns into consciousness. Biology becomes self-aware hmm? and thinking of itself and so forth. Hmm? This is one of the biggest questions in science. What is the biological basis for consciousness? And we say there is none. That's your answer. Hmm? Oh wait, no, that doesn't. There's a you know it's asked with the premise that that there is course. Of course there is. We know that. Do you? You sure about that? Hmm? They're having a darn hard time trying to demonstrate that, to put their finger on consciousness. Hmm? Because it's consciousness putting its finger on consciousness. <laughs> I'm putting here, but I'm, it's here. <laughs> it's like pretty difficult. So it's very, very... Uh, anyway, so... Um, so... Uh, I got there some uh, modern theories and and and, um, and t- so times are different now. Hmm? If you look at Vivekananda's arguments, you think, man, that guy didn't know what he was talking about. But at the time, he sounded really well thought out. And so, facts about the world, if you will, are always going to continue to show itself. The world is that's Maya. You can't measure it. That's what it, Maya means to measure. And the idea is that which cannot. The two means the same thing. That which, uh, which is not. You cannot measure even matter. Hmm? What to speak of measure the measure? Can the ruler measure itself? Consciousness is doing the measuring. And it can't even measure matter entirely. I mean, you just look and see how they, they look through a telescope and a certain idea of the cosmos. And then they, suddenly there's... The, they got the Hubble guy out there and they realized that there are billions of galaxies and it, it's just, where does it end? It, you can't measure it all. Hmm? 
you know, what are the laws of nature here? How do you know they're the same over there, necessarily? Uh, so that is what the Bhagavatam says about material nature. Hmm? I mean, it doesn't tell us there's corks and, and bosons and this, that, and the other thing, and, and how to manipulate it in a pragmatic way to accomplish this or that, and so forth, which is not necessarily, as I said earlier, uh, we spoke about philosophy, but now about science, which is informs philosophy these days, not necessarily producing saintly people, which is everybody agrees we should be saints. Everybody teaches their kids on some level that they should be, they should do it right. Their idea of how to be the best, how to control your emotions, right? Hmm? It may it may feel good, but don't do that. That's not good for you. Everybody's teaching. We're teaching the exact same thing. Hmm? We're just saying that you should control the mind and the senses to a greater degree, and there's a science or an art for doing that. It's called sadhana. Hmm? And so, you know, who knows, as I said before, who knows, who understands the mind more? The psychologist, a soft form of science, these days all informed by the physical sciences, hmm? in order to stay on the, in, 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 as course curriculum and be paid to teach it, you have to tie it to the physical sciences. Hmm? You can't teach, teach transpersonal psychology in a university that, that begins with the idea that you're an atma. Hmm? I think it was born in California a few years ago, but never went anywhere, for, at least for reasons of un, unwillingness to shift from existing paradigms of, of thought that work in some ways pragmatically, and then the, the society structure is based on them, and let's not rock the boat. Hmm? Kind of a kind of a perspective. Um, so um, what was it? So um, what did I just say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, but just just a second ago, what was I saying? No, just just one second ago. Hmm? Psychology. So psycho in psychology, there's an understanding of the mind, right? This is the science of the mind. Hmm? Well, yoga is said to be a science of the mind, also, hmm? and it. Demonstrates through yogins, yogis, that there is the, there is an ability to control the mind hmm, to a large degree. Hmm, focus it, for example, on one one thought, and there are certain results that come from stilling the mind in that way. When you capture the mind, when you can arrest the mind through sadhana, through yoga through kirtan, the mind can be arrested, the atma comes out. And so then there are waves of atmananda. If you do it in the context of bhakti, you'll get waves of atmananda and waves of of, of bhakti abhas, bhava bhas. And you have to have experiences that are just like, is it like nothing, like I know this is not from this world, this, is, this isn't like winning the football game or, or you know, winning the lottery, this is different. I could just sit here and 
I know there's nothing more to be known than this. Uh, this so this arises with the control of the mind. Hmm? Something else comes out. Hmm? So this is not just some wild theory. This is experience of people. They say there's an atma. I've experienced it. What was it like? I, I experienced that I'm eternal. Can you describe it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've experienced something. You have to stand. When I say I'm eternal, I experienced I'm eternal. I've experienced going beyond time and space. Going beyond time and space means going beyond thought and things, language. No, it, it's, be, it's beyond talk. You can say it's eternal, has no beginning, but that doesn't really fit between the ears very well. Hmm? But that doesn't mean, because I can't capture it entirely in words or in thought. The whole theory is it's beyond words and thought. It's ecstatic. It's beyond the senses. Hmm? This is the experience. Now, so who knows the mind better? Someone that can, some yogi that can do that, or a devotee, or a psychologist who can't focus his mind for, you know, five minutes. Hmm? He might be teaching the students and getting attracted to one of them <laughs> at the same time. Hmm? And, and his brain is going on, talking about what he's programmed it for. <laughs> Meanwhile, his, his, his interest is, is, is somewhere else. At, uh, so, um, there's something to be said for sadhus, mystics, in all traditions, hmm, who have been able to just sit there, hmm, right, and 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 achieve a certain mastery, if you will, of the microcosm of the macrocosm, that at the same time includes the realization that the whole show is not measurable. You can't capture it, and it's okay because you're not even part of it. Hmm? You're transcendent to it. Hmm? What about that? That's to understand it, to rise above it, hmm? is to have understood it. Even without understanding all so many intricate details, what do these people know? I mean, some yogi sitting in a cave, what does he know? We put all these things on his head. You know, he was reporting to us, I'm eternal, this, that, the other thing. Okay, fine. We put all these things on his head, and then we saw what was really going on. He didn't really know what's going on. <laughs> no, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know how the glove of the brain responded to the hand of the controlled mind hmm, in the grip hmm, uh, of the Atma. Hmm? Hmm? You're just seeing some correspondence, some correlation between the hand. You, there's a correlation between the movements of the glove and the hand. It doesn't mean the hand is a glove, <laughs> right? The correspondence, the correlation between mind and brain, for example, that we see, could lead us to believe brain is mind, or mind is brain, or or it could lead us to believe brain is mind. One comes out of the other. The common materialistic theories are mind comes out of the brain. You could argue just as well, based on a correlation, brain comes out of the mind, hmm? which we do argue. That's Sankhya, 
the theistic sankhya of of the Bhagavad Gita. The gross matter comes out of subtle matter. Hmm? And both of them are matter, for that matter. Hmm? <laughs> so the mind-body dilemma of modern science and Western thought is somewhat done away with because the, the dilemma is how can something that's immaterial, a mind, influence that which is material, a physical brain that we can we can touch and we know it's there. Hmm? Well, we said we said they're both material. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> One is a subtle form of the other. Hmm? Evolution is, for that matter, is based on the premise that whatever evolves is present in some form in that which it evolves out of. Hmm? So, say that brain evolves out of mind. Hmm? Makes sense. Hmm? To say that consciousness and experience evolves out of an unexperiencing, non-experiential brain or physical forces, that doesn't make any sense. There's nothing like experience in the non-experiential phenomenon. Hmm? Anyway, we've talked about these things at other, other times. So, you know, I mean, times are different now than the times of Bhaktivinoda also. So we can look back also and we can see, Bhaktivinoda said this at this time, and they may be at odds on a couple of points with core issues, and then we can reason perhaps why he did it and look at the currents of thought at the time, and so forth. And we can also see how that same reasoning may not be useful now in the modern world, and it may not be useful in the devotee community also, hmm? who is now becoming more acquainted over time, as you would think, with more of the core texts and uh, and so forth of the tradition than just what they would get from from Prabhupada's immediate and very uh, emergency type uh, work of publishing his books on a world twelve world tours and uh, and establishing centers and so on and so forth. I mean, let's be realistic. He wrote the books in a certain way given the time, he didn't even think he would have time to finish the Bhagavatam, and he was correct. Hmm? So to think that, that everything that could possibly ever be said about Gaudiya Vaishnava is in his books is only as true as his books point to other books and tell you you should read them too. Hmm? And if you didn't, didn't, read, didn't pick up on that, then keep reading them till those points start registering with you. <laughs> And you see, oh, he, yeah, he's telling me to go over here if I want more information about that. And I do, I'm, I am more interested in that subject. The fact that you didn't go there is that you're not more interested in that subject. Hmm? Okay, next subject. Hmm? So I say, read them again, read them again. And I have a reputation for being well read in Prabhupada's books. <laughs> I always, always did. I did because Prabhupada told me very early on in my uh, uh, life as his student, I was. Uh, my service was reported to him for widely selling his books on a particular occasion. We had like a marathon or something like that in Los Angeles. And so Prabhupada wrote back and he said, it's very good that Tripuridas is selling so many books. It's amazing. And uh, and then in his own, and he put an asterisk after that in his own, as a type letter and in his own handwriting, he said, but he should also read them. Make sure he reads them. <laughs> I mean, not that I wasn't, but you know, I took it to heart, and so, so it's important to read his books, and if you do, 
you'll find things. You'll be surprised what you might find there. Hmm? Um, First, he emphasizes Charya's other th- other commentaries. Yeah, the wise student would do well to hmm? serious student would do well to acquaint himself with the commentaries of other Charyas, for example. Hmm? And uh, that's on the one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is he emphasized the importance of new commentaries, ongoing. Hmm? Hmm. He wanted the BBT to be alive. It can't be alive unless it has ongoing living authors who are commenting according to time and circumstance. That is, nothing could be stressed more with regard to dissemination by Prabhupada other than than having a substance of realization which enables one then to present according to time and according to circumstance, which means to change details to deliver the principle. Details can be altered in order to deliver the principle according to time and circumstance. If you can't do that, and you do away with changing any details, you've equated details with principles, and the whole show's lost. Then, hmm? and then you become, you know, some obscure sect without any scope of um, having um, being related to by uh, thoughtful. Educated people. The proverb was concerned to talk to educated people, right? So, we got to follow Bhakti. We know that that's the spirit of that, right? There's much place for what he did. But to say that, to say, to go back to your question, uh, literally, to say that Bhakti Vinod is the seventh Goswami, therefore, what he says overrides all other six. Well, that's not how the six functioned, as I said earlier. Is that what Jiva Goswami came after Sanat and out whatever he said overrided whatever Sanatan said, and they all pretty much said the same thing. And then the, and, the, and and the idea well that's their idea right so whatever whatever he has said now that uh, trumps everything in the past. No, what it does is is it's a creative and empowered way of speaking at his time that was fruitful. And you could say well. Are you better than Bhakti Vinod now? Well, you can decide. I wouldn't say, not too many people would say that they were, but to say that the times are different and there's a requirement for somebody to speak like Bhakti Vinod and understand that principle. If you don't even understand the principle, then obviously you're not going to be a person that's going to be able to do that. If you understand the principle and what's actually happening, why he spoke the way he did, then you understand the need for it. Maybe then you have something to say yourself about it according to time and circumstance, but you haven't even understood that. You should just be quiet. Hmm? Do you understand? I mean, it's not you, but I mean... (laughs) 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 Those those are asking such questions as if they're really profound uh, insights and challenging you for being over-intelligent. Do you think you know more than... Do you think you know more than Bhakti Vinod? No, I think I know Bhakti (laughs) Vinod. I think you don't. How's that? <laughs> From what you're saying, you don't understand why he, why he said what he said. What was behind it and all. Um, so yeah. Mm. Um, in these all these instances, like or in the Jiva Dharma, you know, in one place you read it sounds like, oh yeah. He's saying, you know, that you know the jeep is coming from 
Kunta. And another place you read and kind of like, kind of. And then another place you read it's like, no, 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 it's not that. It's definitely not that, you know. Yeah. He was always been and the same thing with Prabhupada's books. Yeah. It's like that. One place is over here, one place is over there. So is it like I mean, it seems like it's only like that in regards to these particular issues. Yeah. Where there's statement over here like this, statement over here like that. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, why is it that people are always like, you know, that that makes it hard. That's like a dilemma. You know, that seems to be like. Well, is that like some evidence that it's maybe like maybe that's some kind of circumstantial evidence that, yeah, maybe that's just was a preaching. Well, I would think so. That there was a preaching strategy. He spoke about it different ways at different times. Uh, thinking about different audiences and kind of blurring it in some respects uh, and so <laughs> forth uh, from what the clear teaching is, what could be taken another way or it could be taken the correct way, uh, which is in accord with the previous charges and so forth. To me, that's evidence. I would say this, that given given that contradictions, the task is is to is to uh, resolve the contradictions. So that's certainly one way to resolve the contradictions by way of saying it's a strategy of preaching at the time that was hatched and followed and so <laughs> forth. I have not seen another uh, suggestion. I mean, you could say, well, he didn't know. Said it one way, said it the other way. That's one way of resolving it. I don't think the only people would, would go for that, <laughs> right? Hmm? The other way that they try to resolve, they don't try to do that, but some people would say that. Um, and if they weren't members and so forth, that, that would be a logical conclusion they might arrive at. So we dismiss that. The, the other way to, that they think to resolve it is both must be right. Achintya. <laughs> it's inconceivable. Both must be right. It's a philosophical conundrum. There's, there's both are right. Hmm? That's I've seen that. I've heard that. They try to resolve it like both are right. Hmm? But, of course, the problem with that is that it ignores hundreds and hundreds of years of precedent and and um, not only of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but of Sri Vaishnavism, uh, Dvaita Vad, uh, Dvaita Dvaita, Advaita, Sudha Dvaita, every Vaishnava, every Vaishnava tradition, non-Vaishnava forms of Vedanta, every form, every every teaching within Hinduism, whether it be yoga, whether it be karma, jnana, every school of thought, Jain thinking, <laughs> I mean, how far you want to go? <laughs> the whole subcontinent of India, you know, I mean, is the cyclical time, no beginning, for example. If there's no beginning to the world cycles, right, then I mean there can be no beginning to the jivas, the maya shakti and the jiva shakti that's made up of. And as I said the other night, because these two cannot touch, there has to be some glue to connect them. That's what we call karma. Hmm? Therefore, karma has to be an adi, just no beginning. This is like the jiva, it's just like the world, just like the maya shakti. You can't have a material world if you don't have karma. If the material worlds have cycles have no beginning, then karma can have no beginning. And that's what every teacher says. And this is you could just look it up on, probably on Google. You know, Hinduism, uh, cyclical time. I mean, it's just part of the whole psyche. That's why they're so different. 
you know, it's so cool to go to an Indian grocery store or something in California. So I'm back in India. <laughs> yes, yes. Everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> Everything good. Yeah. It's very pleasant. But uh, so uh, um, that's not a viable way of resolving the issue. That's just uh, ignoring it. Um, and so you have to look and see the teaching of Bhakti Vinod, for example, and contemporary Acharyas after him for a couple of generations, sp- spoken a certain way on this issue, different ways. And how does that square with the entirety of the tradition that they're part of? And Prabhupada taught us, uh, let's, let's quote Bhakti Santos Pranam, Rupa Nuga Dvantaharani. So credibility drives from representing the previous acharyas, hmm? not from making it up as you go along. So if there seems to be some discrepancy, then we have to reason about it. Uh, and if there's, he says it both ways, it's, it's fairly obvious which one which one is the sadanta and which one is said for another reason. If you don't like the reason it's a preaching setting, I don't really care. Hmm? Come up with another reason. But that doesn't, if, even if you can't come up with a reason that satisfies you, you can't disagree with the, this side, for example, anadi karma is what the whole of Bharat has been saying since anadi. Since <laughs> 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 the Vedas have no beginning, that's what it's, it's been said. So you can't disagree with that. Hmm? And to say that, well, Bhakti Vinod is updating. I mean, what? The whole, you know, since an, an Adi time, he's now changing it? Hmm? Or they say, an Adi is, means it's something different in this context. Well, what is the context? Because the, the Shastras say, the Sutras say, it looks to me like, Vedanta Sutra, it looks like God is partial, which would be a fault because some people are born rich, some people are born poor. And the Sutras answered, no, because of karma. It's not God, it's it's karma. And God defers to karma, which is an influence of this world. If people take, then the world responds back. Hmm? And he doesn't interfere with justice. If he interfered with justice, he would be unjust. Hmm? And then the argument comes, well, then at the beginning when he made the whole world, hmm, then he must have started people out on unequal terms. And the scripture says, no, because Anadi, next Ankaran, next subject, which mm-hmm. hmm? is, whoa, which means, and I'll tell you what the next subject is too in a minute, but which means, no, because of Anadi. So you can't say, well, it means the world is Anadi. doesn't mean karma is Anadi. As I've explained, you can't have a material world without karma. That's what the material world is. That's what binds the jiva to matter. That's what constitutes the material world. You, you has to. You, 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 Vishnu is anadi, anadi radi govindam sarvakarna karnam. How do we interpret anadi there? Well, at some point he had a beginning. We just can't remember when. Krishna. No, it's about Krishna, right? He has these. He, he has. He, he has no beginning. Hmm? He's anadi. Where do we get the right to interpret now karma different in the context? You can't. Of course, the next study car and the next subject is, but we see that God is partial to his devotees. 
And then the sutras go, yeah, and that's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's what makes him lovable. Hmm? He's partial towards his devotees. That's true. If someone, in other words, if someone responds to the opportunity of bhakti that comes their way, then naturally he's, that's love psychology. You would expect him to be like that. Hmm? Of course, he's impartial with regard to bestowing bhakti because that's done by bhakti. Therefore, Krishna doesn't give bhakti. Bhakti gives bhakti, and wherever bhakti goes, Krishna has to go. He has to go. He's controlled by bhakti. So if a bhakti gives you bhakti, Krishna's coming there, for sure. How can you have bhakti without Krishna? It's to Krishna, right? Anyway, so... So, yeah, I mean, it's um, um, a real service not to uh, uh, to resolve the contradiction and bring the acharya in harmony with the previous acharyas and especially at a time when the previous acharya's position on the subject is becoming well known because the dissemination, further dissemination of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which Prabhupada wanted, is going on. I mean, I let's face it, I don't preach or teach now like I did in 1972. The people are asking different questions. They're coming with... If Prabhupada's mission was successful, you would think people with some further background in bhakti are taking birth, and and the the, the whole current of the teaching is is coming. Other teachers have come, and so he wanted that. Hmm? So when he was preaching, kind of in a vacuum, so to speak, Hmm? just appeared out of nowhere. Prabhupada teaching. The idea is not to keep you, uh, you know, separated from everything. They say, Prabhupada gave us everything. We don't need anybody else. I say, Prabhupada gave us everything. He gave us everybody else. You don't think they're desirable? Would you put you to Marjus in the place where you want to go? You want to be opposed to him? Don't. Good luck. Hmm? He's the he's the Param Sanyas Guru of every. Of every sannyasi in his, in, in, in Iskon, for example, of, of anyone who took sannyas from Prabhupada hmm, has in their sannyas guru parampara, Bhakti Pragyan Keshav Maharaj, who gave sannyas to Prabhupada, and Bhakti Raksakshidaliya Goswami Maharaj, who gave sannyas to Bhakti Pragyan Keshav Maharaj. Or you, you think you can just dismiss your guru parampara and say they're not important and. Uh, who, who Prabhupada got the, got the mantra from? That, is that how Prabhupada related to them? Hmm? No, it's it's actually not. He may have had some differences with them. Brothers will be, you know, brothers. But uh, it, it gives that you to dismiss such uh, senior Vaishnavas in your line, and you think that you're going to have some power for your ashram, for example, of the sannyasi. Just one example. Would speak and then you know people say you know yeah. I mean for me it's like Prabhupada is my guru, Sri Maharaj is my guru, Jiva Goswami is my guru, Rupa Goswami is my guru. Is that okay? 
You have one, if you have one real, if you really have one guru, you have many. If you only have one guru, you don't have any. That's a fact. You don't have any. You haven't understood what you've been initiated into. That's a whole putty bar, a whole family. You think, I only have one guru. You don't really, you haven't really, you barely got a guru. You haven't gone so far as to understand, oh, guru's not alone. Krishna's not alone. You want a relationship with just with Krishna? Follow Mirabai. Don't follow us. Bhakti Vinod Puribar ki jai. Sisi Gaur Adamadava ki jai. Gaur Bhakti Vrinda ki jai. Gaur Primananda. Vanchakal Patrubhya Sacha Kripa Sandhu Vyevacha Patitanam Bhavanam Vaishnam Kripa Sandhu Vyevacha Patitanam Bhavanam